and welcome. It is Eric Erickson here, the Eric Erickson Show nationwide. Glad you could be with me. The phone number is 877-973-7425. I want to talk about some mythology. I mentioned yesterday. When I was a kid, I loved Greek mythology. I really loved Greek mythology. Uh, still have some of the books I had as a kid. Uh, I don't know why I was fascinated by it. I grew up in the Middle East, grew up in Dubai in the 1980s, uh, went to Greece in ninth grade, uh, and I, I had a teacher. Who, I think probably my teacher, Mr. Middlebrooks, is the one who really made me love Greek mythology. Uh, just, re- I mean, all the different stories. Um Apollo and Artemis. Uh, my favorite is Athena. In fact, I have a little, I bought in Greece at the base of the Acropolis, no less, a statue of Athena. Uh, I keep in my my office, the goddess of wisdom sprang from Zeus's head. Uh, and we went to Sparta. We went to Mycenae. We saw the mask, death mask of Agamemnon. It was just, it's, Greece is a beautiful country of wonderful people. I love Greece. Several friends of mine have gone there on holiday. They've gotten married or they, they've honeymooned there recently. It's just, it's a wonderful place. A wonderful. If you ever get the chance to go to Greece, go. Uh, I will say this. If you go, stay in Athens and travel south. Uh, now, northern Greece, and, and you want to go to Mount Olympus. Uh, surely you want to go see Mount Olympus. Uh, it, that area is beautiful. Uh, but from Marathon south down to Sparta, it's where a lot of the history is. And it's just, it's, it's, it's a wonderful place. We stayed one night on a, uh, or one day we, we took a trip down uh, to Southern Greece. We stayed in a little town, Naflion on the coast, had a, a fortress. It took, I, what was it? Two or 3000 steps up the side. Uh, you could walk up to get up there. Had a nice little ice cream shop. It was the one place all the American kids were allowed to roam around at night by ourselves. Little town is very quaint. I would love to go back to that place. But I digress. I, I love Greek mythology. One of the, the things about Greek mythology is how the, the mythology changed over time. So the stories evolved over time of who did what, who had what, uh, who was sleepy with whom, who, did, who, who was a product of Zeus and a, and a mistress and who wasn't. All of these stories over time, they kind of changed. But all of the stories had, had a, a similar thinking. They were to explain the way the world worked. So, for example, the Narcissus flower that grows along riverbanks in Greece. Well, there was a guy named Narcissus. He was a narcissist. It's where we get the word from. And he loved to look at himself. And he stared in the river so long that the river gods turned him into the Narcissus so he could stay by the riverbank and look at himself all the time. Why does the sun move across the sky? It is Apollo. Helios driving his chariot across the sky. And of course, as the Romans took over, the, the, the mythology changed to a degree. Different stories came about. But there was always a kernel of, it was always to explain in some way the way the world worked. The seasons changed because Demeter, the goddess of the harvest, the sister of Zeus and Hades, had a daughter, Persephone. And she was married off to Hades against her mother's will by Zeus. 
giving Hades Persephone. And so the seasons were when the when uh, the spring came, Persephone was allowed to go back to stay with her mother, and her mother would allow the plants to bloom. And then in the in the fall, Persephone had to go back to Hades, and in despair again, her mother would cause all the vegetation to die off in her despair while her daughter descended to hell. That's how those that's how the seasons came about. Now, a lot of you will say, well, isn't this just what religion is? And 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 they didn't get no, well, there are kernels of truth of real religion that weave through some of the mythologies. What I find interesting about the uh, Judeo-Christian record is that uh, Moses writing Genesis 1 in his creation account, it is very countercultural. Uh, his uh, view of the way the universe was created, his cosmogony, differs from every organized religion on planet Earth. And in fact, disagreed with every organized religion on planet Earth until Christianity became mainstream uh, in the 300s AD with with uh, the Roman Empire and Constantine. Because every single other religion out there was polytheistic. There were a handful of, of monotheistic religions that never really took off. But here comes the Judeo-Christian religion. And not only does it say there is one God, but that these things in the sky, these stars and the moon and, and the sun, they're just objects. I mean, that was count. I mean, you you do, you do whether whether you believe or not. You you got to understand that this is something that deviated from everything that existed on the planet. And now we know archaeologically, even with the civilizations that were setting up in the Western Hemisphere, it was completely unique. It's completely unique for Moses in Genesis one to say the sun and the moon are just objects in the sky, and the, and the stars they're just these things God put there. They're not, they're not divine. It was a, whether you believe it was divinely inspired or not, it was a unique insight that came about thousands of years ago, more than 2,000 years ago, at a time where literally every civilization on the planet treated those objects in the sky as if they were divine themselves. It's it just, it, that that is a profound insight I don't think people in our day and age appreciate of the uniqueness of that insight in Genesis 1 that carried over to Christianity that then rapidly caused the old gods to, to fall away. Now, this is not about all the, believe it or not, this is not a, a topic of religion here. I bring all of this up because human beings to this day, thousands of years after Zeus and Apollo and Hades and Poseidon and Athena and Hera and Demeter have all faded away. Humans to this day believe mythologies. Mythologies, uh, sometimes we call them conspiracy theories, but mythologies help us explain the world around us. And as people dive into cults of personality, those mythologies sometimes are what then elevate and build and amplify the cults of personality. I, I got to go there, but just bear with me here. Give, give me one minute to make my case. Stolen election. 
No, no, I'm not talking about that. I'm I'm not talking about that. See, this is why I say give me I'm not talking about that one. I am not talking about 2020 and the stolen election. Here's Stacey Abrams from just the other day. I come from a state where I was not entitled to become the governor. But as an American citizen and a citizen of Georgia, I'm going to fight for every person who has the right to vote to be able to cast that vote. Stacey Abrams says she was not entitled to become the governor of Georgia. Stacey Abrams has long before Donald Trump. Stacey Abrams peddled, if the media wants to call it the big lie, the big lie. Stacey Abrams peddled the lie, a lie, that the 2018 election was stolen from her. She was not entitled to become, you know what? I wasn't entitled to become governor either. I'm, I'm sorry. Apparently way more common. The Democrats and the media have allowed Stacey Abrams to peddle a mythology to explain to them the way the world works, that Republicans stole the election. She said that, ironically, campaigning for Terry McAuliffe in Virginia. Terry McAuliffe himself still to this day claims that the 2000 and 2004 elections were stolen. In fact, when confronted, Terry McAuliffe in the last few weeks has continued to deny that they were legitimate elections, just that we have to move on from those elections. But he doesn't believe they were legitimate elections. He still believes that these elections were stolen from the Democrats. It is a Democrat mythology that is pervasive. When the Democrats lose, it is because Republicans stole the election. What is so ironic about this is here comes Donald Trump in 2020, and he doubles down on these were stolen elections. My election was stolen from me. And the Democrats and social media and major companies are like, you can't say that. That's the big lie, equating it to Nazism and Hitler with the Democrats themselves constantly deny that elections are fair unless they win. Democrats themselves have built a mythology. And here's the thing. It's that the Democrats don't like the Republicans taking their mythology and co-opting it. That's the problem here. It's like a non-Christian taking Christianity and and co-opting it for themselves. And it really makes the Christians mad. It's it's the Democrats, are, the Republicans have taken the Democrats' mythology from them and co-opted it for themselves, and the Democrats are livid about it. And they're trying to grab hold of it. Jason Johnson is a Democrat political commentator. He was on MSNBC with Nicole Wallace yesterday. Listen to this. What do you think happens, um, Jason? You think they take the wrong lessons um, from the possibility that they have some success? They seem to be good at that as well. Well, Nicole, I think they've they've taken the right lessons, and the right lessons are you can rally people around a lie based on white supremacy and sexism and nationalism and and homophobia and everything else like that. And and a key thing to understand why Republicans are optimistic next year, even if they're sort of waving themselves and wrapping themselves in a Trump burrito, is they're going to cheat. I mean, they're just going to make voting laws throughout the country that guarantee that they're going to win. There are very few states right now, Nicole, where there is a very good, active, organizing Republican Party. The Republican Party in Georgia is in shambles because they haven't had to work in so long. They just figure that they're going to pass legislation and make it harder for Democrats to vote. The Republican Party isn't really ready to run a campaign outside of the Midwest. They just figure if we can pass enough voter suppression, wrap ourselves in Trump, and intimidate the other side, we can win in 2022. 
there's your mythology. They're already setting themselves up. They know what's coming next year. By the way, notice how he says in Georgia, the Republican Party, the Republican Party has problems in Georgia. The Republican Party in Georgia has a lot of problems, but the Republicans in Georgia are far more organized than people who watch MSNBC would be led to believe. But notice how he said Georgia, then he said Republicans can't win outside the Midwest. Last I checked, the state that I am currently sitting in is not in the Midwest. I sit in Georgia. I happen to know far more about what's happening in Georgia than Jason Johnson does. But he's pre-gaming the election, seeding the mythology. He wants the mythology. They got to have the mythology because they know what's coming next year because it always comes to the party in the White House. In the first midterm elections in particular, they tend to do poorly. And so they've already, they got to build their mythology. Their, their mythology is, well, it's the Republicans. They passed a bunch of icky laws, and those laws are voter suppression, and that's why we're going to lose next year. By the way, as an aside, 427,205 Republicans in Georgia did not vote in the runoff. They voted in the general election in 2020. They didn't go back in the runoff and vote overwhelmingly because they believed it was going to be stolen, so why bother? If the Democrats do the same thing next year, say, so why bother? They've, already, they've changed the laws. They're going to steal it. They're, they're, they're going to steal the election. That makes it even, the fall, the turnout for the D- Democrats becomes even worse. And the bloodbath is even a bigger blood because it's going to be an electoral bloodbath. Metaphorically speaking, you know, they used to be able to say this stuff and then Democrats got hypersensitive to it until James Hodgkinson came along. But it's totally metaphorical. An electoral bloodbath, they're going to be wiped out. At the polls, by voters, casting votes. And they got to tell you now and sell you on a mythology of why the coming disaster is going to happen. The leaves are falling off the trees because Zeus promised his brother Hades, stay in Hades and I will send you the beautiful Persephone and their sister Demeter. Persephone was her daughter. She became very sad. And the time is now coming for Persephone to return to hell. And so as Demeter, the goddess of the harvest, sadness grows. The leaves turn red with rage and then brown in despair and they fall. And then Persephone, in the darkness of winter, is in hell. The world around us is barren and without trees with leaves because that's how the Greeks explained the seasons. Not much different from the Democrats explaining their coming electoral losses. Hi there, it is Eric Erickson here. The phone, I think I have my situation resolved. I'm going to try to go to it uh, with Dale. You're going to be up next on the show today. Welcome, Dale. Eric. You know, I've been trying to catch you in a uh, philosophical mood for months now. Uh, <laughs> uh, I, I, uh, I've been wrestling with the doctrine of predestination and election since, I don't know, I was 18. I uh, was really studying it. You know, I'm 60 now. And I go, you know, and I really would value your thoughts on it. I don't really have a lot to say, uh, I just would like to hear what you. 
Yeah. Believe okay. about it. Uh, I, I will about tell you. Yeah, I, I get this a lot. And, and I, I, I wish that I was set up right now on, on the regular phone system so we could have more interaction on this, Dale. I'm, I'm going to let you listen, though, because the delay just makes it a little bit insufferable to have this. But I will tell you, for those of you who don't know, I, I, I go to Presbyterian Church, grew up Baptist, but uh, Reformed Baptist Church. And reform typically means you you, abscribe, you subscribe to some of the, the tulip uh, tenements from John Calvin. I am very much a Calvinist. Uh, total depravity, uh, and the like. Um, so here's how I view election. That there is God's view of things and there is our view of things. And our view of things is that uh, we believe we pick. And God's view of things is is it's God. So there is a passage of scripture um, that Jesus is knocking on your door. And the Arminian view of that, that is the people who believe in total free will, uh, is that I've got to open the door so that I can have this relationship with Christ. The predestination view is that Jesus chose the door on which to knock. And you, it's Jesus. You're, you're not going to not open the door when Jesus Christ comes calling. Uh, irresistible grace. Now, how does this all play out? In, in the grand scheme of things, let, let me tell you, uh, how I view this and, and the traditional view of this is that when we talk about free will, and this is where it gets complicated because you got a lot of people out there who talk about it in different ways. I need you to understand, Dale, the way that a Calvinist really means free will. In the beginning, Adam and Eve ingest the apple. They are filled with sin. And their will at the time, they have a free will. They can choose God or they can choose sin. By choosing sin, it permanently bends their will towards sin and away from God. And the only way to bend their will back is for God to supernaturally pull them back. Now, that's different. Some people, oh, I'm just an automatist. No, 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 no. See, because people that people like to take the short way out of this conversation. There is free volition, and that is where most people talk about free will. If you get in your car or not today, that's that's you, you, your choice. I got the free will to go. What a Calvinist says, you free volition to go. The, what we talk about by will is only that our ability to choose God or sin is is what is broken. We are bound to sin. The bondage of the will, is, as Martin Luther would say, we are bound to sin. That's the only aspect of free will. Everybody else wants to make it a big thing. And a Calvinist would say, no, you have these free choices in your life to do these things or not, to go to church or not. All we're talking about is you can't choose God without God first reaching out to you, without Jesus first knocking on the door. I hope that makes some sense to you. Wish we could have had a longer conversation. Now we got to get away from theology and back to politics when we come back. Your calls are welcome. 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425 if you wish to tune in. If you haven't heard the news, Southwest Airlines has decided uh, they're not going to furlough, fire, or uh, throw off the job employees who are unvaccinated. This comes... After Southwest, and okay, let, let me, I got to just reset the whole stage for you on this one. Southwest Airlines, what, last weekend, uh, saw all sorts of, no, weekend before last, weekend before last, saw all sorts of logistical problems over a Friday, Saturday, Sunday, into Monday period. They really didn't settle their schedule again until Tuesday. They came out first and said it was weather and it was uh, FAA shortages, 
the FAA came out and said it was not the FAA or FAA shortages or weather, uh, the weather affecting no other airline. Then Southwest said part of the problem was they had uh, aligned their planes, moved their planes and positioned their planes uh, to areas of the country that made it hard to then reroute them uh, as there were some issues, including staffing issues. And they they denied it was a uh, walkout by workers. Then they started talking about, well, none of our workers are going to be fired. We don't like this. The Biden administration is making us do it. So it was a very subtle shift. Now, I am told, and you know, so Atlanta, where I am, is a big hub for Southwest. And one of the things you need to understand about Southwest is that it does not tend to do the um, uh, do the hub and spoke method that other airlines do. Now, it does it some more than what others have done in the past, but by and large, Southwest operates essentially like a bus station. Uh, now, this has changed a little bit, to be fair. Um, it, it has changed over time as Southwest has uh, opened itself up more and more uh, to flying these big routes. But a lot of what Southwest does is it flies along routes that then stop repeatedly. So, for example, um, years ago, I had to fly Southwest. It's the only time I've ever flown Southwest. They weren't even in Atlanta at the time, so it's been a long time ago. And uh, AirTran for a long time was the Atlanta uh, airline, and then they um, moved out, or they were bought by Southwest. But Southwest, we flew from from Birmingham, Alabama to, I want to say to Las Vegas and then to Oakland, California, and there were stops along the way. And that was Southwest's model. It was so Delta, for example, Delta flies a hub and spoke uh, where you have major Delta hubs. You have Atlanta is a Delta hub, Cincinnati, um, Detroit, Los Angeles, LaGuardia, and then they have flights from those. And so the way you work on Delta is you want to go somewhere uh, from like, for example, my dad uh, in Baton Rouge flies out of Baton Rouge, Louisiana. If he wants to go anywhere on Delta, the Delta flights all go to Atlanta, and then from Atlanta, you're fed into a massive system of flights. You go anywhere else. Where with Southwest, you kind of hop along the way, um, although Southwest is moving more and more into a hub-and-spoke model over time as it has grown. Now, the problem with Southwest as it's done the puddle-jumping maneuvers over time or the, the hop, skip, and a jump says it does is that if it moves a plane somewhere and it needs to reroute those planes, if they've got a shortage of workers, if there is weather, what have you, it becomes harder to rearrange those planes. And that's fair. In the Southwest system, it turned out to be more complicated. It was a combination of factors. It was not just a worker walkout, but a lot of people seized on it as a worker walkout and made that the biggest issue. But it was a significant part of the issue. And it became a bigger issue because the other day, Southwest employees protested outside the corporate office. And it was Southwest employees who protested. And as Southwest employees protested, it was kind of eye-opening for them to realize we got a problem. 
if we do fire all of these people, we're going to have problems because of staffing issues. Now, here's the other issue, is one of the things Southwest showed is that they were hiding behind the federal mandate saying, well, this is a Joe Biden issue. And Joe Biden caused this. And it was the the vaccine mandate from Joe Biden. The problem, of course, is that Biden did release an executive order, but the executive order and the the, didn't have regulations attached to it. The regulations still haven't come. And then along comes Delta. And Delta, uh, listen, I, I got issues with, with some of what Delta does, but it is inarguably the best run airline in America. Um, I, 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 I've got friends of mine who love Southwest. They, they adore Southwest. Almost all of them are from Texas. They may not live in Texas now, but Southwest is the big Texas airline. You know, Southwest originally, uh, it was it was kind of the bus system, intra intrastate bus system in Texas. Texas doesn't have a railway system, and Texas is massive. You don't appreciate how big Texas is until you try to drive across it. And I know friends of mine in Texas, their work commute would be to get up uh, in, in, um, in um, let's say, Waco, Texas, and then they would have to fly to, to, to San Antonio, and then they would have to, to fly to other parts of Texas and around and around we go. And, and Southwest was essentially the, the commuter option for them. Southwest was how they flew. If they needed to get from, I don't know, from, from uh, Amarillo to Houston to Dallas and along the way, they had to fly Southwest. Uh, and so you want to go for, from... Well, let's say you want to go from Amarillo to Lubbock to Abilene to Austin to San Antonio, you're going to fly Southwest. That's your bus system in Texas. That's how Southwest came about. It, 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 so people in Texas love Southwest. I mean, Southwest is, I remember back in the days there was the Texas airline. I flew on that one. Um, and now you got Southwest. And now Southwest has an expansive footprint in the United States. But Delta has a, there's a similar vibe for Delta for a lot of us who live in Atlanta. We love Delta. Nobody likes American at this point. That's kind of the interesting thing is American and Southwest are competitors in Texas and nobody likes American. American Airlines is really, I I remember when I was a kid, American was a cool airline to fly and not anymore. It's just, it's sad um, what has become of American Airlines. And then there's United Continental, uh, you know, Continental United, South, Continental American Southwest. They were all Texas-based airlines, and Continental United merged. They're now more of, I guess, Chicago, Denver, Denver-oriented. And then Delta's off by itself on the East Coast in Atlanta. And Ed Bastain, the CEO, he is socially progressive. They've hoisted the Black Lives Matters flags and, and the like. But to his credit, as an airline, they have been very, very customer-focused. Not only have they been customer-focused, they've been employee-focused. Now, there are employees who don't like, for example, that Delta encouraged employees 
to wear Black Lives Matters pins and, and Delta gets involved in a lot of the alphabet gang priorities and Delta has been opposed to RIFRA, the Religious Freedom Restoration Act in Georgia. But Delta got in a lot of trouble for being too weak on voting reform. In fact, Delta behind the scenes was helping draft the voting reform package in Georgia and only went out very critically and, and condemnatory after the um, after it passed. They felt like they got boxed in. But by and large, Delta's pretty popular in the Atlanta area. And Delta has said, you know what? We're not doing the vaccine mandate. We know the Biden administration has said vaccine mandate, but we're not doing the vaccine mandate. What we're doing is we're going to charge employees who don't get the vaccine a little more per month in healthcare because it costs us a lot of money if they get COVID, but we're not going to fire people. So here comes everyone else in the in the industry and says, wait a second, the Biden administration is forcing us, demanding that we do the vaccine mandate. And along comes Delta and says, hey, guys, here's another way. Not only that, it's incentivized. 95% of our employees have gotten the vaccine, and the other 5%, they may pay a little more per month in healthcare, but they're not losing their jobs. And suddenly it's eye-opening to everyone else. Wait a second. How is this possible? How can Delta do this? Because Delta chose to think differently of the problem than Southwest and everyone else. So now Southwest, because of Delta in large part, Southwest is having to change everything. Now they say, wait a second, guys, we're not going to fire anybody. Our bad. We're, 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 nobody's losing their job now. We're, we're going to be hunky-dory. You just hang in there. We'll be fine. We hope you get the vaccine. We'll come up with something different. They're having to walk it back. But it's not just Delta. And it's not just what Delta did. It's the employees. Because of what the employees did two weeks ago, in addition to all the other factors, and it was more complicated than just an employee workout, but employees did walk out. And then there was the protest this past week. Suddenly, you got the the management at Southwest thinking, uh, we can't fire these people. We can't fire them. If we fire them, we don't have replacements. There's no way for us to be able to fire them. The employees have a lot of leverage right now. And I would tell you, if you're an employee at a company and you don't want the vaccine, and you can organize enough of the other employees, and there are enough of you to walk out, and it disrupts operations, you've got leverage. You've got negotiating room. Some employers won't cave, and some will. In Chicago, a judge has ordered a police union ranking officer to stop talking about boycotts and the vaccine mandate to stop encouraging the employees to walk out. The mayor of Chicago says the police are trying to cause an insurrection over the vaccine and and the mandate. Illinois suburban police are being asked to help in Chicago if needed because of an officer shortage. Because the Cook County Sheriff's Department and the Chicago police The Chicago police in particular has demanded that city workers report their COVID-19 vaccine status or they're going to be placed on unpaid leave. 
The deadline was this past Friday, and only 65% of the Chicago Police Department has reported their vaccine status. City police officials have made it clear, I'm looking at Fox News, if, if officers refuse to comply, they're going to be disciplined or fired. The Fraternal Order of Police there has opposed the mandate. The president of the union said if officers were turned away, the city would have a police force at least 50% or less in the coming weekends. And the mayor there thinking this is an insurrection. And the Fraternal Order of Police are trying to induce an insurrection. Here's the mayor of, of Chicago. What we've seen from uh, the Fraternal Order of Police and particularly the leadership is a lot of misinformation, a lot of half-truths and frankly flat-out lies in order to induce an insurrection. Uh, and we're not having that. And so we want to make it very, very clear um, that the law is on our side. <clears throat> we feel very confident about it. The law is on our side. We feel very confident about it. Okay, the law may be on your side. The law is on the side of employers who demand a vaccine mandate. But if you fire all of the employees and you don't have anybody to show up at work, well, then that's your problem. It's not the employee's problem. And right now, I don't know if you all no, noticed this. I, I don't know if you know, but right now there's an employment labor shortage in the country. There are a lot of jobs open and not a lot of people. It's a great time for an employee to go find a job at a company of less than 100 people or one that doesn't mandate vaccines. You can quit and go find a new job, land on your feet, and probably even make more money. You can negotiate for more pay because the employees have all the clout right now in the market. So the Democrats are trying to impose a vaccine mandate at a time where it's the employees, not the employers, who have the leverage. Makes it very interesting moving forward if these employers go through with it. And Southwest has realized it can't. A lot of cities that are run by progressives, they will, because this has become a matter of religious dogma for them. You are a heretic who must be burned at the stake if you don't get the vaccine. Now, I will tell you, I got the vaccine. I encourage you to get the vaccine. I think the vaccine works. It's not so much about saving your life, but the life of someone else you love who's older than you or in poor health. I think they work. My children have been vaccinated. My wife and I have. My wife and I both got the third round booster. But it's up to you. I do not think your employer should make you. I do not think you should lose your job. I think employers have the right to do it if they want. I think they shouldn't. And Delta Airlines is one of the many companies out there showing the other airlines and other corporate American Fortune 500 companies that there is an alternative to firing employees and employers ought to be looking at the alternative out there right now because there aren't enough workers to go around. And lastly, and I know I'm running long, but I got to make this point again. I think it's, I can't say the word I'm about to say because it starts with an S. I, I think it speaks poorly of people and of healthcare providers that for a year in a global pandemic, you were perfectly willing for your unvaccinated employees to come risk their lives on a daily basis with a virus about which we knew so little. And now we know so much, and many of them have natural immunity because they've been previously infected. And you want to now fire those people who risked their lives for a year and went overtime to try to save other people. And now you want to fire them 
because they don't want to get the vaccine. That That's a damning indictment on the management and executives of so many companies in healthcare in this country right now and on so many other companies that want to punish their workers for having legitimate concerns in many cases. So uh, a buddy of mine just sent me this article, uh, this tweet from The Atlantic. Homo sapiens have been around for almost 300,000 years, but our ancestors, Homo erectus, lasted for 2 million. If it lasted for 4 million, I think the ad says they would have to go, Homo erectus would have to go to the ER. I, I think that's how it works. I mean, it was there for a long, lasted long. <laughs> Sorry, I couldn't help myself. Sorry, I apologize. Still, I just, uh, 300,000 years Homo sapiens have been on the planet, I, I suppose. All right, I can move on to other things. Uh, I don't know if you have heard this, but the University of North Carolina, according to a federal judge, is allowed to use race as a factor in admissions, that it is constitutional and non-discriminatory. The U.S. judge, I, I bet the U.S. judge is a Democratic appointee. Um, she, Loretta Biggs, is a district judge, Middle District of North Carolina, uh, born in Atlanta, went to Spelman and Howard University, worked for Coca-Cola, was a district attorney in Forsyth County, Georgia, moved to uh, North Carolina. She was appointed by Barack Obama December 19, 2014, and says they can use race. Uh, she's the first black woman to serve in the federal district court in North Carolina, I suspect, this case is going to the Supreme Court, where the court has been more and more hostile to the idea that you can use race as a basis for admissions to college campuses. Uh, she may have just set this up perfectly for the court to finally throw out race-based admissions.